Here's what you get on today's episode of Guts, Grit, and Great Business. Here's a framework. Here are the things we need to think through. Let's take our time. Let's come up with options. Let's try to prioritize and really understand what's important to you because we can have a plan in our head, but then is it really a plan? I don't think so. If it's not written down, it's not communicated. And what ends up happening is it's like it's like that checklist of to-dos that you never get to and it just eats at you and it eats at you. And these things are important and not urgent until they become urgent and then it's almost too late. The adventure of entrepreneurship and building a life and business you love, preferably at the same time, is not for the faint of heart. That's why Heather Pierce Campbell is bringing you a dose of guts, grit, and great business stories that will inspire and motivate you to create what you want in your business and life. Welcome to the Guts, Grit, and Great Business Podcast, where endurance is required. Now here's your host, the legal website warrior, Heather Pierce Campbell. All righty. Welcome. I'm Heather Pierce Campbell, the legal website warrior. I'm an attorney and legal coach based in Seattle, Washington, serving online information entrepreneurs throughout the U.S. and the world. Welcome to another episode of Guts, Grit, and Great Business. We have a returning guest today who I'm super excited to bring back. Welcome to Lori Barkman. Hi, Lori. Hi, Heather. It is awesome to be back. You have such a great show. I love your energy and thank you so much for having me back on. Oh my gosh. Well, this is going to be fun. We're bringing you back for a couple things. One, and for folks that are listening, we're going to share in the show notes episode number one with Lori, which is not actually episode number one. <laughs> not episode one. <laughs> I said that and I realized, oh no, our first episode together, but not episode number one. Um, and we we talked about some really fun things in that conversation. And uh, Lori is a wealth of information. So for those of you that don't know Lori, Lori Barkman is a business transition Sherpa working with business owners from transition to transaction. I love that phrase. She advises how to maximize the value of your company and guides you through the complex process of letting go. Lori works with clients to plan a lucrative exit on your terms. Her extensive experience as an executive and certified mergers and acquisitions advisor allows her to understand all aspects of your company and provide the best guidance for a successful exit and business transition. She's the host of the award-winning Succession Stories podcast and author of the Amazon best-selling book, The Business Transition Handbook, How to Avoid Succession Regrets and Create Valuable Exit Options. So writing a book is a pretty big deal, Lori. I remember when we connected, I can't even remember when it was, and you're like, oh, by the way, did you know I wrote my book? And I was like, wow. What? <laughs> and you had a lot of other things going on in your life. And so that feels like a huge accomplishment. Thank you. Thank you. It was a lot of work. I bet. How, I mean, I'm sure that that was years in the making, right? Usually by the time you actually are writing a book, you've been thinking about it for a long time. When I launched the podcast three years ago, I didn't know that I was going to write a book. I frankly didn't even know I was going to have a podcast. So sometimes <laughs> we we step into something and then we step into something else. And it was like a staircase for me because after, let's say, I think the hundredth episode of the show, I realized, oh my goodness, this body of work, there's so much here. And the the show is an evergreen show. You can listen a year from now, two years from now, this content will be evergreen. And that's when I started to get the idea of, well, what if I put these stories into a book? 
and not just stories, but how do we make it actionable? And that's why I was very thoughtful about what do I name it? It's not just stories and storytelling. It's part of it because we we learn from other people's examples of what went well, what didn't go well. And that makes a difference for people when it feels practical, like, oh, that happened to Joe or that happened to Mary. I don't want that to happen to me. We can relate to that. We can vision it. But then it's like, wait, what do I do? <laughs> so mm-hmm. each chapter I wrote as a, a pitfall. You know, each chapter, this is something you want to avoid. You don't want this to happen to you. But then when you read it, it's what do we learn? What are some stories we can maybe relate to? And then at the end of every chapter is a summary of key takeaways and some note-taking space. And that's the premise of where, you know, you asked how long it took. <laughs> it took a little longer than I would have liked because I, I ended up midway not liking what I had. And I stopped myself in the tracks and I said, wait a minute, I'm not liking where this is headed. I'm gonna, If I'm the reader, I got to be the reader. How do I put myself in the reader's shoes? And that's when I really thought about what are they most trying to do? They're trying to avoid pitfalls. They're trying to avoid that mistake someone else made. And at the yeah. same time, they're trying to do something positive and what is it that they can do to maximize value? So that's why I took both perspectives in the book. Mm. Lori, I have to say, and I know before we went live, I was telling you that I listened to another episode of your podcast yesterday. And so for folks that are listening, um, I highly recommend you hop over to Lori's podcast, Succession Stories. The thing I think that's so powerful, not only about podcasts, but even about your concept for the book of after creating 100 episodes of your podcast, realizing like, oh my gosh, you've got to turn this into a book is that the stories really are so powerful and they really help bring some of the concepts that you work with, you know, every day in your work to life. And I think for a lot of people in the business world, you know, while you live in the business succession space, whether, you know, I know you've done a lot of merger and acquisition work and helping business owners plan for what that, you know, that endpoint looks like. Most business owners don't live in that space, right? You And you have some guests who do quite a bit in that space, but I think a lot of businesses, and particularly depending on the size of business, they may go through that period of time in their business, you know, once or twice in their lifetime, depending on the businesses that they're building. Absolutely. You know, first of all, it can be very lonely thinking about these things on your own. And I find that just the sounding board that somebody like myself can be is is number one. Just yes. having somebody who can say, here's a framework, here are the things we need to think through. Let's take our time. Let's come come up with options. Let's try to prioritize and really understand what's important to you because we can have a plan in our head, but then is it really a plan? I don't think so. If it's not written down, it's not communicated. And what ends up happening is it's like it's like that checklist of to-dos that you never get to. And it just eats at you and it eats at you. And these things are important and not urgent until they become urgent. And then it's almost too late. And one of my clients said to me, you know, Lori, working on my exit plan has been harder than building my business. (laughs) And I can appreciate that. There's a lot of truth to that. And I think a lot of people are, it's almost like this taboo thing, like, oh, I can't talk about my retirement or I can't talk about 
maybe wanting to sell, right? It feels like a taboo topic where it really shouldn't be. It's, I had a I had a gentleman come on my show and he has a podcast. So he's very used to talking to audiences. So it was great from that perspective, but he wasn't outing himself. He had communicated that he intended to retire in three years. His, his part business partners knew, his employees knew. And now coming on my show, the audience is going to know as well. <laughs> and he was excited to talk about it. And I thought, wow, what a breath of fresh air. He's probably the first person who's come on my show in almost 130 episodes who is looking forward. Most po- folks come on my show and they look backward. So I actually, as a side note, I think it's an opportunity for me as a show host to try to get more people to talk about um, maybe not things that are personal that they don't want to, but more like maybe what legacy are we creating? You know, what's important to us? And those are those are things that we can think about as a foundational piece and really building from there. So I love talking to people about what's happened in the past, but really the value comes when we're able to develop a plan and think ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you said something in your conversation with Ben Rizzo on your podcast that, you know, is something that I've said repeatedly to clients about, uh, especially business collaborations, right? Like you think of the joint venture space and a lot of my clients are doing kind of smaller project-based joint ventures. And when I say smaller, just meaning that they're not creating a whole new business entity around this joint venture. They're collaborating for a short period of time to experiment with a new idea, right? And I tell all of them, like, look, this will come to an end in one way or another. And just like in marriage, unfortunately, when we jump into these collaborations or into these partnerships or, you know, even into a business, we often are not starting it with the end in mind. No, we're not. It's hard to think about the end in mind. There's a great book by John Warlow called Built to Sell. And there are definitely people out there who build a company with the intention of selling it. There's some wonderful examples of that. But most people build a business, just they kind of want to see where it's going to go. They don't really know. And it takes different tangents and, and things ebb and flow over the years, also based on market dynamics, competitive factors, and personal interests. Yeah. But I think one of the things that I like to advocate for, for companies that are more mature, which I'll characterize as 10 years, yep. you know, a company that's been well-established for 10 years, not startups, you know, not under five years. But really, even we could say five to 10, just starting to become a more mature company. If they're a larger company by revenue measure or employee count for other, if that's how they look at it. Um, But really revenue is another barometer where the larger we are, the more complex we are, the probably the likelihood that you really need that owner to sustain the business. It's like an inverse proportion, right? The longer this company has been around, the more people we have on our team, the larger we, uh, the more revenue we have, let's say 10 million or more, then a buyer, if a buyer is interested in it, they may have more confidence that this business can continue and thrive and grow without the owner if the owner is no longer there. And why wouldn't the owner be there? Well, maybe they want to retire. Maybe they want to just completely do something else. And so the more that we can begin with that end in mind of, I'm going to build a business that's transferable, that's attractive to a third party or to related parties um, and transferable. You know, the transferability is a big part of it. And let's face it, every business owner is going to leave their company one day. The question is, is are you ready? And for most owners, the honest answer is no. Yeah. 
Well, it's a little bit like estate planning, right? For your personal side. Like I, I'm always shocked at the number of people in the business process that I talk to, even though I don't do estate planning, I talk to about that piece. And I'm, I'm always so surprised when somebody's in even their late forties or fifties, and they're just now getting to the estate planning piece. Good analogy. It's a good analogy. Estate planning feels scary. Yeah. But if we think about it as legacy planning, maybe it feels less scary. You know, I'm going to take this asset and I'm going to divide it up. And then here's my heirs. And oh my gosh, I got to decide who's getting what, Uh, uh, right. Who wants to think that way? (laughs) But if it's like, Oh, this is the legacy I'm leaving for my family, my employees, my community, you know, causes I care about. The business should be part of that. I have a client, I've had to work pretty hard to convince her that having a contingency plan for the business makes good business sense today, regardless of whether she intends to sell in five years or not. It just is the prudent thing. She's a sole, sole owner. She's divorced. She has two kids. The two kids really probably aren't the right people to own the company. And if they do own it together, 50-50, what, what would potentially happen to that business? And I was quite honest with her. And I said, most likely it'll put it into a tailspin. Yeah. Do you really want that when you care so much about your people? It's number one thing she always tells me. I care so much about my people. But if you do, why wouldn't you have an emergency plan in place if something happens to you? Let's get that in place. And 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 by the way, yes, let's also, we're not going to not do this. We're also going to work on what's your plan for exit. If you do want to sell to a third party, we're also going to work on that. But in the meantime, mm-hmm. we cannot control things that we can't control, right? That's right. And That's right. we don't want to have a situation, I hear about it way too often, where people really didn't plan for the worst and the worst does happen. Yeah. Well, and that's a that's a great example. And I actually want to dig into it a little bit further. But first, the interesting thing about this whole, you know, estate planning, business exit planning, like it can be uncomfortable for people to think about that. And yet we already in life are making all kinds of decisions that are along the same vein, right? Insurance. I mean, even legal protections, right? You are taking steps to prepare for the worst or to protect against the worst. And it's like people have, I think, much less of a hard time with the insurance conversation (laughs) or with other conversations that are actually really similar. And so, um, you know, I just want to remind people, like we're already making some tough decisions that are thinking about, you know, contingencies and things that could happen. And just, you know, the conversation with Lori today about business exit planning, business succession planning, and even legal stuff is, you know, just taking a wider, more holistic view of that part of your planning. And I'd love for you, Lori, even in the example that you just gave, because I think for people, let's let's pretend that we're talking to somebody today who hasn't yet had this conversation or hasn't considered their options. Could you walk us through kind of an array of options that you have seen or helped come to fruition with your clients, ranging from somebody like a sole proprietor or somebody leading, you know, let's call it a small team, a small business, all the way up through, you know, what it looks like for more established companies and slightly larger businesses? Sure. Let's take it from the standpoint of one of my favorite chapters in the book, which is who should own the business after you? 
Because as we said, every business owner is going to leave their company one day, right? Yep. So if we frame it that way and we realize, oh yeah, okay, if we want our company to continue forward, it would be interesting to figure out who might be the best fit. So let me talk about it from the kind of the top level categories and maybe we can work backwards. The top level categories are, and there's three of them, strategic buyers, financial buyers, and related buyers. Strategics are companies. These could be competitors to you. They could be vendors of yours. They could be partners, you know, business partners, like entity-wise, if you're partnered with an entity. They're folks that are generally in your industry, maybe and maybe companies that you know already, or maybe not. They could be a lot larger than you, like tons larger than you, or maybe five times larger than you at a minimum in terms of revenue might be one way to look at it. So that's the first category, which is strategics. The second category are financial buyers. Financial buyers we most often hear about are private equity firms. And private equity firms raise capital and then they make investment decisions and into their portfolio. They may choose to buy a standalone entity and run it as a standalone entity, or they might look to get a smaller one and tuck it in underneath that. So kind of like the mothership and these little satellites. And that matters when we think about strategic fit and in terms of what may happen to your business after the sale. So we'll put a pin in that one for now. And then the other financial buyer that I want to mention, uh, actually there's two. One is a uh, maybe a classification you haven't heard of, which is a family office. There are maybe 30,000 family offices in the United States that's managing over $3 trillion and it's quite significant number. <laughs> and, and a percentage of those family offices are looking to do investing. And a significant difference between a family office and a private equity firm is the time horizon for holding the asset. The private equity firms tend to have a, you know, grow and sell five to seven years timeline. Um, family offices tend to have a buy and hold, right? Because they're investing for the family. They're investing for the long haul. Yep. So that's a really key difference. And then the third category that I'll mention because of your, your question originally, which is kind of lending itself to size of company, there are acquisition entrepreneurs out there who are, maybe they're funded in a search fund through other investors or they're self-funded and they're looking to borrow money from a bank, SBA loan or conventional loan. And they want to buy an existing business rather than start one from scratch. So these are independent acquisition entrepreneurs, and they might be best fit for other types of businesses. So we could just talk about that as a category. And then the third bucket is related parties, you know, related buyers. Yep. And related could be literally related because they're family. They could be partners. They could be management. And one of the key characteristics of this category is that they know where the bodies are buried. They know the business pretty well. You know, they're insiders, uh, most likely, you know, they, they're very interested in the business because they're already part of it. And if we think kind of in this left to right, as I've described them in general, I'm not going to say it's always this way, but in general, it goes from uh, a kind of typically the highest multiple to the lower multiple left to right. So strategics, mm -hmm. the highest Yep. Um, in some general sense, I'll generalize here as financials are second, and then the related parties are third. All right, let's pause for a moment and hear from today's sponsor. 
Are you an entrepreneur who is on track to make a million or more in revenue this year in your business? If so, your business is likely facing a host of legal issues that are ripe for support. And if you are like so many of my clients at this level, you are likely tired of taking unnecessary risks and a DIY approach to legal support in your business. You're ready to tackle the mess of legal documents, fix legal gaps that you have. You want to take care of your IP, your clients, your business, and avoid unnecessary conflict and risk in the process. If this is you, and beyond just being an entrepreneur, you are a catalyst and are committed to your mission and your impact in the world, I invite you to get in touch. You could be a fit for my Catalyst Club, a small business legal support program that I designed for my high-level clients just like you. You can find out more at legalwebsitewarrior.com. Just click on the work with me tab to learn more about the Catalyst Club and other ways that I support my clients. A fabulous group of world-changing entrepreneurs, I might add. You've done the initial legwork in your business and now you want to soar. And you know that you can only go as high and as far as your legal foundation lets you go. So get in touch today. Hop over to LegalWebsiteWarrior.com. Click on the Work With Me tab. And if you have any questions, get in touch through the contact link on my site. I look forward to connecting. It would be a joy to support you on your path. Well, that's an awesome breakdown of kind of the landscape in this world. I mean, and I think that probably people listening have like understood or maybe even heard about like some element of this picture, but not all of it, right? So it's it's fun to hear you walk through the options. What do you find when you're working with your clients? And I'm sure it depends on the business, depends on you know, their expertise, um, their kind of sophistication levels. But what do you find to be some of the big light bulb moments that your clients have as you're walking them through the process of considering their options? One of them is around price. And a light bulb moment comes when we are just off from the market. The owner has a price in mind that the market does not. And that is one light bulb. When we have more time on our side to affect change, that's good. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we're in a situation where we need to make a, another decision, right? If we pull the business off the market and say, we're not selling for that price, we would rather you know, liquidate and close down on the assets. Mm, and how often do you see that happening where people are like, woo, they're kind of astounded at, you know, the discrepancy between their idea of what they thought could happen and what the market says can happen? How it happens are... a lot. It does happen a lot. It happens more than we think. I, and it's hard to know exactly percentage wise, but there are some statistics out there and for the companies in the lower middle market. And, and we may have a lot of folks that fit into that category that are listening today whose businesses are under you know, under 5 million in revenue, under 4 million in revenue, or excuse me, under a million in revenue, you know, this really, really smaller end of the market. They could be more owner dependent businesses. They may have loyal employees who have been with them a long time, but then mm -hmm. the bad news there is that they're on the same retirement schedule that you are. Yeah. And that's, and that, that's a situation that I've seen. Um, so the team is essentially dissolving. <laughs> um, the other situation is when we hear anecdotes in our industry of what our company should sell for, and then we don't get that multiple, and then we're disappointed. 
So we decide to hold the asset and continue to grow it, which isn't a bad thing, again, because if you have time on your side, you can do that. If you're up against the time clock for your retirement, then that's when you might start to think about the dissolution of the company and shutting it down. Uh, you know, just to beat the horse, it's really about starting early so that you have more time to affect change. This one particular client of mine was in the situation of not getting the offers that they would have liked. And they decided to take the company off the market. They have spent this year really trying to grow and improve not only revenue, but profit. I've had big conversations with them about that. They've adjusted pricing. They're trying to you know, put some recurring revenue models in place. They, they had some margin opportunity. And I think by working with me, it was like an added benefit that they they learned that for them the downside for me is we didn't we didn't get to a sale but i'm i'm hopeful that they will become a client again and then when they're ready to come back to the market a second time their financials are going to be even stronger so they're a good example of even though there's two partners father son the father wants to retire the son doesn't want to own the business he wants to sell it but the father was willing to stay on another year to work with his son and, and get the business to where they think it, it should be worth. So we'll see. But here's what I always tell people about this light bulb that you asked me. You know, buyers buy on their own time. Not your yeah. time, but their time. And the <laughs> other thing is for privately held companies, there's an infinite number of ways to value a business. So what only matters is what the buyers think. And how can we look at our businesses from a buyer's point of view? That's how I encourage our, our clients. Mm, you know, this is so interesting because what it raises for me is a, also something that your guest in the episode that I listened to yesterday said about small businesses in particular. And I think this also relates to how you value a business is also there's like a, probably a gazillion different ways that small businesses handle their books and their accounting, right? Even though there are some standards, you know, the ways that small businesses account for certain things can vary. Uh, quite significantly. I'm curious if you can dig into this a little bit, this perspective of how do we look at our businesses from the standpoint of a buyer, obviously as a strategy for improving how our businesses are positioned. Yeah, the buyers are looking for objective ways to, to understand the potential value to them. So at a simple level, what pain points do you solve for them? Mm -hmm. strategy wise, you know, strategic fit. But really when they're getting to know you, they're going to start there. They're probably been watching you for years. If it's a competitor, uh, they probably know your strategic fit. They've given some thought to that. So what they don't know about you is what they want to learn. And that starts with your financials. If your books are a mess, that's where you really need to focus. So what do I mean? You can have QuickBooks. There's no problem in having an online bookkeeping, you know, tool like, like QuickBooks, big fan. The main thing is to be consistent. So if you change a category, expense category this year, we'll go back in the past and, and make sure it all lines up. You'll thank me when it's time to run your financial summaries because everything will be lined up in the right buckets. The other big opportunity for owners, especially if you're running some expenses, personal expenses through your business for tax reasons, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't do that. I'm just saying, Make sure you are clear in the accounting of it, because when we look to normalize your financial statements to understand a kind of a truer picture of EBITDA, 
earnings before interest taxes and depreciation. If the owners are no longer in the business, what expenses would be removed? If they're all buried kind of three layers deep, we don't really have an easy way to pull out and, and showcase that, hey, these are what's called addbacks. Um, and, and those addbacks of expenses make sure EBITDA number go up. And mm. for every dollar, if your company is valued at three times EBITDA, for every dollar in expenses, maybe you're saving 30 cents on taxes, but you might be losing out on $3 of value. So I just want everybody to give that some thought. Um, one example is I have a client that is doing residential construction. So he built a barn and he built, you know, he has la landscape services and he has snowplow services, but all those costs were buried in the business. And now what he's done is he's set up different accounts and he has a credit card that is for owner expenses. So it's really easy to track. And yeah. that's the main point. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying, make sure you account for it. And one of the other things to consider, and I do point this out in my book, is if your firm is having a third party review of some sort, there's good, better, best. And of course, it's more time and money with each of those options to work with an, a tax or accounting firm to do reviewed financials. And the, the best is an audited financials, but that's a lot of, uh, you know, for some companies, cost-wise, it's prohibitive and takes a little more time. Reviewed financials is really interesting. And I advocate for that with smaller companies because the cost isn't very high. It should be less than 7K. And you can ask your tax preparation firm to do it around, you know, you let them know that you'd like to have it done and maybe they give you a, a deal with your taxes, you know, they do it around the same time. And and what you get is third-party memo that's basically saying, you know, we've reviewed the financials and so on. And it's just one more thing, one more layer to help the buyers understand that you have a viable business. Mm. And it sounds like, I mean, and I, I would think that you're doing that particular piece at the phase where you are starting to really lean into kind of finding kind of the next owner for your business. Am I wrong in that? I mean, for smaller businesses, let's be clear that mostly I'm talking about smaller businesses who are a fit for that reviewed financial scenario, but regardless of the size of your company, it sounds like at the point that you're beginning to really lean into the transition or planning for that, it's you're probably hiring quite a bit of outside help, right? To get your house in order, whether it's working with somebody like you to help guide that process, whether you're starting with a CPA to help get books all in order. Can you also help us understand what what type of support is out there. And I know like for your one client that you mentioned, the father-son duo, like it sounds like they're probably hiring folks to help increase profitability or look at additional strategies to help them in that last year or two before, you know, uh, selling if they can maximize their, uh, their value in that time. Um, in that case, for that particular client, they're hiring staff so that they can they can, they're a services business. So okay. they've been investing their, their resources and staff. And that's one way that they've been growing. Um, I would say, generally speaking, from an advisory standpoint, I talk about it as a, as a boat, you know, who's your, your business owner advisory team. Yep. And I think when you are five years away or, or less from a transition, that sounds like a long time, but in practicality, it isn't. Mm -hmm. And I just want the listeners to think about that. If you're 10 years out and you think, oh, that's so far out, I'm not going to work on this. I would say to you, 
look, you have the benefit of time. The best time to get started is today or yesterday. And the second best is today. And, and, and who you may want to work with. Yeah. Somebody like me is going to be a coach for you to help you understand and baseline. Where's your business today? We're going to take a look at what goals you have financially for the business and for you personally. And we're going to set a plan for how to get there. And there's a number of things we need to do. Some things just take a lot longer than you expect them to. Mm. And it's just life, you know, it's just life. And especially when you're working with other other parties, um, whether they're legal, you know, advisors, tax advisors, there can be a lot of moving parts. So one of the value that I find in being a kind of a quarterback in all of this is having a framework, presenting a framework, but then also being able to have that bat phone Rolodex where I can pull people into the process. If it's contingency planning, and we need to talk with an insurance specialist. And if it's M&A attorney, when the time is right to pull them in, when it's a tax advisor, when it's a financial planning, it really takes a village. I mean, there's a lot of advisors that are important. When we're on the value building and value creation side, it's the advisors that help us understand what are the value, what assets are of value today, whether it's IP, you know, Heather, and I know you work with clients to help them secure uh, you know, secure rights and trademarks and et cetera, et cetera. Like what can we be building uh, in terms of our asset list? And how do we think about that strategically? Folks like me are going to say, okay, well, let's begin with the end in mind. How do we look forward to who might be the right type of buyer for your business? How do we understand the market dynamics of what value drivers are most important to them? And now let's work backwards and say, okay, uh, the the market segment that you want to sell to or this particular type of strategic is really looking for XYZ, but you have ABC. So either you're going to pivot, you're going to acquire a company that has that, you know, what's your strategy? Um, with enough time and resources, we can affect change. If not, we're staying on, we're staying the course and we're saying, well, this is the path we're on and, and this is what we're going to do for either organic growth, which is our things that we can control in our own four walls, um, or virtual walls, <laughs> or the acquisitive growth, which is we're going to be acquiring companies and integrating them into our business so that we can get a creative growth. And all of those things obviously take time. Oh, totally. The, I mean, the thing that to me sounds fun about what you do and, and for people that get to work with somebody like you is it sounds like it's actually a pathway ironically, for building a better business. It is. Yeah, yeah there's nothing that we're going to do or talk about that isn't going to make your business more valuable, attractive, and, and more fun to run. You know, that's the thing. It's like, it's transition planning. I don't say it's exit planning. It's transition planning for transition of what? It's transition of ownership. It's transition of management. Eventually, it's your transition for you personally. And there's a lot to the word transition. There's a movement. You know, it's a movement from here to there. And it, it is fun. I find that every client is different. There are certainly patterns and things to look for and watch outs and all of that. But every company is different and unique. And that's a puzzle for me to right. <laughs> put together. And I really do love those aha moments when business owners go, oh, yeah, okay. That's cool. I get it now. Yeah. And I, I tend to have that effect on people. So no, it's really a joy. I, 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 I get a lot of pride out of others succeeding and being part of their success. Hmm. Well, I personally am looking forward to reading your book. And for folks listening, we are going to share 
um, Lori's book, which I can tell already is a wealth of information, including through, do you feature guest stories in your book, Lori? Oh yeah, I do. I have lots of stories. Yeah. That what's, I think that's what makes the book come alive. People have told me that they feel like I'm talking, you know, with them as they read it, you know, it's like, it's like my podcast in a book form, but there's, there's a workbook style too. And I should mention, I, I don't know if I told you this off air, but I have a free digital accompaniment to the book. So if you want to print out literally all of the exercises in the book, I created a PDF that you can download from my website. Ooh, I love that. We will definitely share the link to that. Um, I'm assuming that's an opt-in and helps you build your your database, Lori. <laughs> but yeah, and it's wonderful because then I know a little bit more about my readers. But you know, a lot of people like to get the Kindle version, which is which is awesome. But on the Kindle, you can't mark it up. And I want you to mark it up. I want you to bend the corners and get your highlighter and, you know, make your notes. Totally. Oh my gosh. Well, if you're listening, I want you to pop over to the show notes page, legalwebsitewarrior.com forward slash podcast. We are going to share the link over to Lori's book, uh, which you can find on Amazon called the business transition handbook, how to avoid succession pitfalls and create valuable exit options. We'll share the link also to your PDF. Um, there is before, and I want to be respectful of your time, but I realize we're right up against the top of the hour. Um, on the personal side, can you share, cause you know, we've been talking primarily about the business stuff and some of the logistics and things that people really need to look at. And you've shared a lot in a short period of time. And I love this. And my mind is like, what, what do you find in that process of helping people explore the personal side of this conversation. And I assume part of that is like personal legacy and life choices and all of that. But is that an interesting, um, like, I don't even know how to describe it, kind of like swampy, curious place to go with people? What do you find in that process? I I definitely think it's a slippery slope. Yeah. And it's definitely emotional. Um, I think it's a lot about regrets. Mm. And when it comes to regrets, we regret the things that we did, or we regret the things we didn't do. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to do and serve business owners is help them make the good choices on things to do, and then also help them by taking action and not saying, oh, I, I should have you know, I should have done that. Yeah. Wayne Gretzky, you know, hockey great Wayne Gretzky would say, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Yes. And to me, that's about missed opportunity. And that's the mission of the book. That's the mission of what I do as a business transition Sherpa. That's the mission of me working with business owners, you know, through transition, through transaction. And as you alluded to this emotional side of letting go, it's it's definitely the practical and the financial and all of that. Yeah. But there's a personal transition we have to acknowledge because 75% of business owners do exp express regret one year after the sale. And I just did a whole webinar on this today, actually. <laughs> I have a whole presentation on it. Yeah, we can talk about that for at length. But um, it's to me, it boils down to regret. And how do we work so that we can avoid these succession regrets? Mm, wow, that's a high number one year after the sale. It, what it reminds me of, I heard it's terrible statistic actually about the legal 
world and the percentage of judges who pass away within one to two years of retirement. Yeah. And, you know, what it calls to mind is the personal work that we have around really separating our purpose in life from our work. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No question. Like no question. Being so tied up and, you know, and as an entrepreneur, I think that's a challenge. So many of us that what's driving us in our work is, is really truly attached to our heart, something that we love, something that we care a lot about. Not everybody. Some people build a business because it's, you know, purely financial and they love that. But it's, you know, I think for a lot of people, what they're willing to put their life's work into has a lot of meaning for them. And so that's a difficult thing to do to separate out kind of purpose and life mission from business and work. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Mm. Well, I'm curious that presentation that you gave, is it something that's accessible or is it, is it private somewhere? Um, it is on the Stony Hill advisors YouTube channel. Oh, maybe that's something that we can share as well in the show notes. Yeah. And I, I can link, I, I can't, say for sure if it's going to be in my YouTube channel, but I think if they Google it, look for me, um, Stony Hill Advisors, how to avoid exit regrets is the discussion. I love it. Okay. We'll try to find that and pop that. And I'll probably do, I'll probably do that webinar again. So it'll be out there. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, I love it. Well, that sounds like a really, really important topic that, you know, people need to deeply consider as they're thinking about this process and approaching the process and kind of getting their mind around it in the right way. Um, Lori, I so appreciate you. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And if you're listening, we are also going to share the link over to my first conversation on Guts, Grit, and Great Business with Lori, which was episode number 119, 119. So um, probably 50, 60 episodes ago. About a year, Lori. Look at us. About a year. Oh my gosh. Look at us. I know. (laughs) And you're coming on my show, which I'm super excited about. Excellent. And we will share a link over to your show as well, Succession Stories. So I highly recommend that you pop over, follow Lori, follow her podcast. Lori, we've covered a lot already, but I have to ask you the final question, which is, um, Is there any final thought or takeaway or action step you would like to leave our listeners with? Yeah, I just, I want everybody to have an intention. You know, if you listen to today's show and there was something that inspired you, don't just say, oh yeah, that was, that was interesting. Do something. I want everyone to do something. So I do have an offer um, of how to do that, which is to help baseline where you are today and On my website, there's two assessments. One is for a business assessment, which helps us understand where your business is at. And then the other one is more of a personal readiness for a a transition. So you're welcome to take both and you're welcome to take one. Uh, But I do encourage you to do something, even if it's by the book, hey, that's a start. (laughs) Listening to this episode is a start, of course, as well. But please do have an intention. Please do take an action. And if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, you want to reach out and talk with me you know, happy to have a conversation. Excellent. Well, you're so generous, Lori. This is a really important topic. I can tell how much you care about it and how much experience you have in walking people through what can be a challenging process. So, um, but like you said, it really is about helping people not miss 
opportunities. And so if you're listening, take some action, decide today what you're going to do, go hop over and, and visit the show notes page so that you can check out Lori's various resources. We've mentioned many of them in today's episode. We'll be sure to list those all out in separate links. You can find those at legalwebsitewarrior.com forward slash podcast. Look for Lori Barkman's episode and share this with somebody who you think is walking this journey and probably needs to have access to the same resources, the same conversation, and really start to consider their options when it comes to their business succession planning. Lori, I so appreciate you. I really look forward to being in touch and I will follow up as well once I read your book. Appreciate you. Thank you, Heather. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us today on the Guts, Grit, and Great Business Podcast. We hope that we've added a little fuel to your tank, some coffee to your cup, and pep in your step to keep you moving forward in your own great adventures. For key takeaways, links to any resources mentioned in today's show and more, see the show notes, which can be found at legalwebsitewarrior.com slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, please give us some stars and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast so others will find us too. Keep up the great work you are doing in the world and we'll see you next week.